podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with your hosts, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. Thank you for joining us as always as we talk a 4-1 victory against Fulham. Preview the midweek fixture against Valencia in the UEFA Champions League between ourselves and by speaking to English Valencia fan Ruben Pinder. Of course, this weekend, United also travelled to Anfield for Liverpool away. Since that's such a big game, we'll have a mini-episode after the Valencia game to preview that Liverpool fixture alone and discuss the Champions League game from midweek. On this episode, as always, we have our extensive youth, loan and Man United women's roundup. All of that in Series 4, Episode 16, so keep listening. Marcus Rashford, right at the end! Oh, yes! Now, Jack, some enjoyment in a Manchester United game, a rare feeling feeling we haven't had for, for some time and not even just some enjoyment but 90 minutes of just kind of not panicking and, and no real fears that we were ever going to lose the game which is I don't think we've had that in a game this season not at all I, it was the first game this season where I haven't felt apprehensive really at any point during the game it all everything kind of uh, came together in that first half it was by far our best performance going forward of, of the year it reminded me a lot of some of the performances back from the start of last season where we just looked very, very dangerous pretty much any time we were coming forward. Uh, we were moving the ball through midfield really well. The forwards were linking up well. The, the whole team just, just seemed to to gel together in a, in a really positive way. And I was very concerned when I saw the lineup before the game. And I have to say that whether it was it was the lineup or the tactics or, or just the players you know, performing better, whatever it was, it, it really did all come together against Fulham. And by far our most positive day of the season so far, I would say. Yeah, only Fulham can't take too much from the the performance itself. To be honest, yeah. you can't really decide anything from the the performance. And to be fair, against a team like Fulham, this this isn't really exceeding our expectations. They're just exceeding our expectations based on what what else we've seen this season. <laughs> we should be yeah, beating Fulham. a four-one Fulham. Kind of should be this kind of result should be not. I wouldn't say regular, but it should be kind of happening three, yeah. four times a season. But the, the, I guess the performance doesn't show much, but the result is is just it's nice. It's kind of no one's really overreacted to this. A, a lot of the time, on the Mourinho van Gaal Moyes, there's been a win like this, and people have been like, "Oh yeah, this is this is it." But I think it was just kind of like, well, yeah, that that was a bit better. Some enjoyment, some goals, and and some very nice goals. To be fair, yeah, yeah, they really uh, were. Love, a couple of lovely, really nicely worked goals that was kind of like, hold on. This we can play some some especially, nice especially especially the uh, the goal from the corner as well. Like, I I love that goal because it it showed that we actually do something in training <laughs> for once. Yeah, <laughs> normally I I almost started to question whether we actually train, 
Um, and you could see that by Mourinho's reaction how happy he was that they'd actually put put that into practice yeah, yeah. In, in the game. That was a really yeah, really turning well around goal. to high five McKenna and and Lorano and and Carrick and that. Um, Marcus Rashford is probably the one of the main talking points. Four assists and one goal in his last three games. I mean, he, he scored in against Fulham. He tried that powerful shot to the to the near post early on in the game actually, and it, I think he was parried away for a corner, and then he kind of pulled it off with a little bit of fortune because of some some poor goalkeeping. Um, and got a, a well-deserved goal in a in a brilliant performance that will certainly be a confidence booster for him. Absolutely, yeah, he needed that. I think Rashford, Rashford can be such a frustrating player at times because he gets into such brilliant areas and his movement is so, so, so good. And yet his end product just lets him down so often. So I think it was big for him to get a goal. And I just, that, that's really what I want to see from Rashford. I just want to see some some improvement in his end product because... You often see him putting in performances where there's so much potential. And like I said, his movement is so often brilliant. And it just needs to be a little bit more coming at the end of it because it's hard It's hard to be starting him every game over the likes of Martial, even though I'd say Rashford creates a lot more than Martial does, especially through his movement. But he just, he just doesn't yeah. have the end product. And ultimately, that's kind of what you have to go with. So hopefully, with these last couple of games, getting some really, uh, some really good goal contributions and then getting a goal of his own, hopefully that can kind of kickstart a better period for Rashford over Christmas. To be honest, it was it was a performance from Rashford where you could tell that, like us, he grew up watching Ronaldo for United. I'm not I'm not saying it was a performance of equal standard to Cristiano Ronaldo, but the the type of performance it was, and I think this is it, it partly shows that Rashford is much better from the wide areas because he got a couple of chances up front with with Lukaku out injured or being dropped or whatever and Martial was played out wide and I actually think and I think I said at the time that I think Rashford is is better out wide than he is up front and Martial can be yeah. just as good up front but watching Rashford against Fulham the goal firstly is typical Ronaldo cut inside and that kind of dipping laces knuckleball shot to the near post we've seen that we saw that from, from Ronaldo so many times particularly United lesser at Real Madrid where he played as kind of a centre forward and, and Juventus but also, we saw a great free kick from Rashford at one point, um, which tested the goalkeeper at least. Oh, I wouldn't say a great free kick. A good free kick that he kind of knuckled to the left of the wall and, and the goalkeeper saved it fairly easily. And as he steps up, he does that breath in like Ronaldo and then steps up and laces it. And it it was kind of, it was really evident that this was a this is a United youth player who has learned from Ronaldo a bit and watched Ronaldo a lot growing up. There were so many traits in his game that seemed similar, similar to Ronaldo. Yeah, especially on Saturday, the way he kind of, like you said, almost plays as as an inside left forward kind of at times. And it's exactly the same kind of style that Ronaldo was so great at when he was at United. It, it was a, a really, like you said, not not anywhere near the same level, but it was a similar performance in terms of what he was trying to do. Uh, and sort of coming in from that left flank and allowing Ashley Young as it was on, on, on Saturday and Patrice Evra as it was in Ronaldo's time to kind of take up the space that they leave when they cut inside from the left. It was... It was a great performance by Rashford. I was really pleased to see him kind of... He seemed to come out of his shell a little bit. And, you know, he... And I think it's probably partly down to the fact that the scoreline was so much better and allowed our players to play with a bit more freedom. But I think you're exactly right in terms of Rashford's effectiveness coming from the left rather than playing up front. I think the problem with Rashford playing up front is there's just not enough space for him. Rashford needs to operate in quite a bit of space, both for his movement to be able to be effective because his runs in behind are so great so often... And when he gets the ball to his feet as well, I think it, it, he just needs a bit more space to run into. And I think it, generally in the wide areas, you are able to have that little bit more space. There's not always someone so tight to you. And it means that even if there is, even if a team is sitting really, really deep against us, 
you can still you have a little bit more freedom to kind of find space within the pitch in front of the defense whereas if you're as playing as a center forward and you're dropping you know 20 30 yards to to pick up the ball unless you have any runners beyond you which we tend not to have at the moment it's really really hard to be dropping that deep all the time to try and pick up the ball so i definitely think going forward rashford should be played uh, out wide and like you said if there comes a situation where Lukaku gets dropped or is injured. I think Rashford does. Rashford should play out on the left and Martial up front because Martial's greatest trait is that his end product is very good. He always puts up good numbers, pretty much regardless of whether he's in great form or regardless of how you know how often he's actually creating chances. And that is much more effective when he's going through the middle. Yeah, I think I think we said this towards the back end of last season. Actually, we were talking about Rashford and Martial's future, and I think we both said I think. Rashford's long-term future is actually on the left flank. Even when he kind of broke through into the into the Van Aal team, he was a striker. It does seem like that is where he's going to get the space, as you say, to to show off his ability and to be more effective. And his end product isn't good enough to be Manchester United striker. And whatever you think about Mourinho giving chances to young players, obviously he hasn't actually had a, a very good record doing that so far, unsurprisingly. But you can't afford particularly in that striking positions, you can kind of uh, kind of justify it in the left and, and right wing positions a bit more. But your United striker needs to be ruthless and Rashford isn't that. And so I think the focus shouldn't be, why is Rashford not starting up front? Yeah. If he's starting on the left, that's fine. I think we could see Rashford develop into a great inside left forward, as you say, the kind of, I don't think there should be any controversy over him playing there. It's not like he has to be a striker. It's wherever Rashford is going to become the best player. Um, Talking of, of Romelu Lukaku, back in the side, um, a, a goal and big relief on both his face and all of his teammates' faces that clearly showed the the support that he has from his teammates. It's not like one of it's not like when uh, Radamel Falcao was having a, a bad time at United, kind of he'd score and it'd be a relief, but it it, it's, it feels like the team is really behind Lukaku. Yeah, it does. And to be fair to the, to all the fans at Old Trafford on Saturday, despite how badly Lukaku's played for the majority of this season. He got a great reception when he scored. There was you could te- you could sense the relief around the stadium. I mean, it, will, it might have just been a little tapping, but it's all you need sometimes as a, as a striker. And throughout his career, Lukaku's goals have often come in bursts. It's always been, you know, six goals in six games, and then maybe nothing for a few weeks. And he's now got two in his last two in the Premier League because he scored against Southampton as well. And you know, hopefully, looking forward, this might be the start of another sort of scoring burst for him. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of skeptical as to whether that will actually actually well, happen, it, just because it amazed me that that's his first goal at Old Trafford since March. I mean, I I knew yeah, he was I in know, bad form, but that is that is something else. Yeah, especially I I, can't, I don't I can't remember any top striker for a team for a, or striker for a top team going that kind of goal drought at home. Yeah, I mean that is that is woeful. It's, really. it's quite impressive um, to be honest. Yeah, and like I knew I knew it was a long I knew it was a long time. I knew. Like I'd heard the the stats of the minutes, but I think hearing like nine hundred minutes as opposed to March, just <laughs> I mean, it feel like March just contextualizes it so much yeah. more. And when I heard that, I was like, Jesus Christ, has it really been? Well, that there bad? was there was an um, interesting interview with him in midweek. Um, I think, well, actually, no, I think it was after the Fulham game, and he said it was with the from the official United website, and he said that he knew he was too big at the start of the season in terms of literal size not fat, muscle, and that he, he said, he said, I've put on muscle for the World Cup because that's where that kind of figure and that kind of style of play performs best on international football. So he said he put on muscle for the World Cup because he thought the strength would help and, and it clearly did. He had a pretty good World Cup. 
and then admitted he now has to lose it. And he said he also said he had a World Cup hangover much later than he expected it to come because usually it kicks mm, in yeah. straight to, uh, at the start of the season, maybe one or two games in. But actually, Lukaku started quite well. I think he scored four goals in the opening four or five games. Looks brilliant. And then suddenly just dropped off straight away. And he admitted he had the same thing after the 2014 World Cup. Everything. It's kind of everything that we thought, but just from his mouth. So at least he recognises the problem and that it is trying to be rectified. Yeah, and I've got to say, like, as much as we've criticised Lukaku, one thing I do admire about him is that he is very upfront about you know, when he's in bad form and about coming out and being willing to criticise himself. And it's nice just as fans to be able to know that at least he's kind of recognising the same, th- the same things that we're recognising. And he's not trying to you know, just kind of hide behind in the, in the shadows. And so I, I do admire that about him. I, like I said, I, I am kind of sceptical as to whether this will carry on into one of these scoring bursts that we've seen throughout his career, just because his general play still wasn't great and he still doesn't look... He's a massive confidence player. That's one thing we, we know about Lukaku. He's a massive confidence player. And it doesn't seem like his confidence is is that high still on the pitch when I watch him. But... Who knows? It, it sometimes that just a tap in like that is all it takes to to get a striker rolling again. Yeah. Now Lukaku came back into the side uh, against Southampton. Paul Pogba was not back in the side against Fulham, and I think because of the result, four one against Fulham, very comfortable, very comfortable game. No one really spoke about Pogba being dropped that much. If it had been a, a slightly tight game and Pogba had, had to come on, then it, it clearly would have been a big talking point. But it's it's only the second time Paul Pogba's been a unused sub since coming back to United in in what was it August 2016, and to me it's 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 quite mind-boggling that people think United will be improved without Pogba, <laughs> who who is widely regarded as a midfielder who is underperforming. That's a fact, but is still seen as as one of the best in the world. And United, Mourinho, and the fans would be stupid to think that a future without him is better than. One with it, quite how Mourinho thinks dropping him is the solution. I, I don't really know. And if you're thinking, oh, a bit of work against Fulham, then I mean, you've just got to look at how bad Fulham are. This is a team who have yeah. conceded 40 league goals in 16 games and a bottle. Or, or go back seven days and look at what it was like against Southampton. Exactly. And it like, it's not like every single game without Pogba has been great. Yeah, and it's it just it it doesn't make sense to me because yes, the performance was better. But still, there was very little creativity from midfield. You think about our yeah. goals. Ashley Young, with a, a great bit of play on the left-hand side, he had a very good game, so did Diego Dallo. Ashley Young made a, a goal by himself pretty much with a brilliant finish. A nice move from a corner. Rashford making something out of nothing and a slight goalkeeping error. There was there was a, a big lack of creativity there, even in a 4-1 win. And last season, we made 15 chances per game with Pogba in the side and seven per game without him. He got 16 goals or assists in 26 games. It's a pretty decent player who was basically playing defensive midfield for the most of last season in a very defensive, in what everyone accepts is a very defensive side. This is, and, and people talk about his attitude as well. And it's it, this is a player who's gone back into central defence for United when needed, who has sacrificed himself for the team, who the, the man who started the comeback against City in the 3-2 win that stopped them winning the title, pulled the team with him. It's like, yes, there have been some some questionable moments in Pogba's United career in terms of attitude and yes he could probably he, he could try harder on the pitch or not necessarily try harder but react better when he loses the ball but the idea that he's got this terrible attitude when playing on the pitch yeah. and that it's his fault yes he could be better yes he should be playing better but it is a massive failure of Mourinho's management that 
that he thinks we play better without Paul Pogba, this kind of sensationally good midfielder who is clearly not playing up to the standard. Yeah, I think the the fact that Mourinho dropping Pogba has happened now and is happening or seems to be happening over like a string of games and not just one game, it doesn't show to me that, oh, Mourinho's done so well making the team work without Pogba. The point is, if you have a player that is so clearly better than everyone else in, on your team, when... I don't think anyone would argue that Pogba isn't our best, at least not our best outfield player. The the point isn't to make the team work when he's not when he's not in it. The point is to build the team around him. And and it seems like we're kind of we're going about it the the wrong way. And the whole the whole Pogba attitude narrative I think is just I think it's a very lazy narrative that is a pretty bad indictment of British press and British football fans in general that it it seems to me that whenever there's a any kind of uh, any kind of player who relies a lot on flair, is very expressive in the way that they dress and the way they look and everything like that. So as soon as as soon as their their form drops or as, as soon as they have a couple of bad games, it's all about their attitude. And the fact that Pogba's black probably doesn't help that either. Um, without wanting to go into everything that Raheem Sterling has been talking about in the last few days, where I think he's spot on. But all everything I think comes together in Pogba and it creates this narrative that he has a bad attitude. And really. Other than a few mini tantrums on the pitch, which is probably the most that we've ever seen from Pogba, there there isn't really anything to say that he does have a bad attitude. Well, look, everyone says he's gone. He sat on the bench for the last couple of games. Unused sub against Southampton. Did he say anything? Not really. Did he show some massive tantrum on the bench? No. He's been taken. He's been subbed off after 50, 60 minutes in games and just walked off and sat on the bench, not done yeah. the kind of Alexis Sanchez thing where he throws a bib down, or we've seen Sergio Aguero do that, Wayne Rooney do that. He's, I mean, talk about being lazy on the pitch. Before he was dropped, I think he'd covered more distance than any other United player this season. He, he is the he's the midfield general in that side. He, he also he has to clean up for Nemanja Matic, who's somehow still in the side. Yeah, no, it is. It's just a it's just a lazy narrative. It doesn't have any actual basis, and it is just I think built on the fact that he's a fair, he, he is a flair player. He has extravagant haircuts. He dresses extravagantly, and he's not in great form and you put those things together and to the British press and a lot of British football fans, he has, that that means he has a bad attitude. He also came back from the world cup early about having had about two days rest, celebrating winning the world cup with France to play in the first game of the season for United. When I think even Mourinho said he was at 60% fitness or something. And and Paul Popper does have to play better. And the solution is, I think to make him play simpler because that's when he's at his very best doing the basic things to a standard that, no other United player can match because I love it. I know we both love some of the kind of amazing flary stuff he does. The, the five touches with both feet, shoulder, head, knee, whatever to take it over and around the player in the centre circle. He's done that a few times. I, I remember against Anderlecht, really kind of poignant in my memory. But if he cut them out, perhaps we might see an even better Paul Popper, maybe slightly less entertaining at times. But if he does those simple things perfectly, I think we would see something. And it feels to me like no one is there trying to improve Paul Pogba as a player. You never really hear things about how Pogba can get better. It's just he needs to get better. Yeah, it's true. And I, like, I think it's important that we don't we don't just talk about how you know how great Pogba can be and everything like that. Because as you said, he ha- he has been poor. He has been poor about if all for the last at least two months. I would say he's been poor. There have been a couple of performances this season where he's played really well. But he has been generally pretty poor. And he we can't get away from that. He does need to improve. And I said, uh, when was it? 
it might have been last last week that you know I'm not necessarily against Pogba getting dropped, but I'm against Pogba getting dropped for sort of I, I guess conditions or criteria that seem different to everyone else. The the Matic example is or the Matic comparison is the perfect example really. Why? What has Pogba done worse than Matic to warrant him getting dropped and Matic to start every game? Nothing. Yeah. It's just that there seems to be a different criteria for both of them. I think if if Matic had been dropped a couple of months ago, I would have no problem with Pogba being dropped for a couple of games because his form hasn't been good enough. And if that is, that's the, the, the line that Mourinho draws, that's fine. But draw that line for everyone and not, not different lines for different players. Yeah, right, we must move on. But very quickly, Diego Dallo a good game after he had been criticised against Yeah, Arsenal. he was great. Um, probably his best performance in, in a United shirt. I really like Dalo. I think he's he's started his United career really well. Had some really good performances. Um, was it in the Champions League, I think, early in the season. Oh, he struggled a lot against yeah. Arsenal. I spoke about that in the last episode. I think he really struggled down that right flank. But like I said in that game, I'm not, I'm not too worried about his, about his progress because he's going to have games like that. He's still a young player. And he bounced back from it. And I think that is the sign of a, of a someone who's very strong mentally and able to come back from probably their worst performance in the United shirt to, to be man of the... I think Sky Sports voted him man of the match after the game in their match report. So that kind of shows you the kind of performance that he put in on the back of a really, really tough night against Arsenal. And that's a great sign moving forward. It was a fantastic week for Manchester United's youth sides. The result for the under-18s in the under-18 Premier League Cup was a highlight. Neil Ryan's Reds beat Chelsea 3-0. This is the Chelsea side who are under-18 Premier League and Premier League Cup and FA Youth Cup champions. United's first half performance was sensationally good as they netted three before the break. Damani Mellor opened the scoring after 11 minutes for United, snatching on a loose ball sent back to the Chelsea goalkeeper from the Blues defence and Mellor finished well. Dishon Bernard doubled the lead soon after with a slightly fortunate header from a cross-free kick. His effort at goal hit off Mason Greenwood in front of him and looped into the bottom far-right corner. It was Greenwood who set up Brandon Williams for the third goal. Dylan Levitt played a superb ball through to Greenwood on the left flank and the young English striker held the ball up for Brandon Williams who took a touch and finished for the third in the first half. United weren't quite so good in the second half but held their lead and clean sheet to progress in the Under-18 Premier League Cup in a fantastic result. The two sides face off again in the FA Youth Cup third round on December the 17th. Chelsea have won the competition for the last five consecutive years. The under-19s will be managed in midweek by Nicky Butt in their final UEFA Youth League game away at Valencia. They're already through to the knockout stages, just like the first team. 15-year-old defender Will Fish and 14-year-old Shola Shortire have both been added to the squad for the UEFA Youth League. At under-23 level, United beat Middlesbrough 2-0 thanks to goals from Zach Durnley and Ethan Hamilton. Burnley scored within the first 15 minutes for United, nutmegging the goalkeeper after running onto a great ball from Aidan Barlow, and Ethan Hamilton scored from long range just after half-time with a deflected long shot. In low news, Axel Twanzeber played the full game for Aston Villa in a 2-2 draw against West Brom. Dean Henderson kept a clean sheet for Sheffield United against Reading in a 2-0 win. The Blades are third in the championship. Henderson recently made a couple of mistakes for Sheffield United, conceding at his near post against Brentford before a massive blunder against Leeds. But he's still got the support of the fans after coming out and showing his exemplary attitude by apologising and facing up to the criticism. He's still seen as one of the best signings at the club in the last couple of years and they'd love to bring him in permanently but probably can't afford him unless they're promoted to the Premier League. Timothy Fossimensa wasn't allowed to play for Fulham because they played United and Cameron Borthwick-Jackson played for Scunthorpe in a 2-0 loss against Gillingham. 
Joel Pereira was only on the bench for Vitoria Setubal against Benfica. The goalkeeper's made eight appearances for Vitoria in the Portuguese league this season, keeping two clean sheets. He's now been dropped though, and it could stay like that, according to Portuguese newspaper Abola. James Wilson came on as a sub for Aberdeen, and Matty Willock did the same for St Mirren in the Scottish Premiership. Casey Stoney's Man United women's team suffered their first league defeat of the season in a 3-1 loss against Durham. It was a massively shocking result, although United remained top of the table. That's your youth loan on Manchester United women's roundup this week from the Manchester United weekly podcast. Now, it's a Champions League game without much riding on it. Manchester United already qualified after a slightly fortunate win against Young Boys in the fifth group stage game, but we finished things off already qualified against Valencia, who uh, we've already played to a little excitement in the first game. And we are joined by Ruben Pinder, English Valencia fan, I think is appropriate, also a Crystal Palace fan and a football writer at joe.co.uk. Ruben, what kind of season has it been for Valencia so far? been a difficult one um quite underwhelming for Valencia this season uh given how well they did last season um after a few turbulent years um with you know they went through so many managers they finally got the right coach um in Marcelino he they found the right system they got the dead wood out it, it was all set up to be a great season and yet they are 14th and they've only won three games uh in the league this season when with nine draws um so Something's not quite right for them this season. Um, hence why, you know, they're struggling in front of goal a bit. Their top goal scorer at the moment is Santi Mina with four, and he's only recently come back from an injury. Um, but they do have quality. Um, they just sort of need to start clicking again. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been very frustrating for them this year. Three wins all season. I, I guess that means their current form, or at least the last four or five games or so, haven't been great either. No, indeed. They beat um, Ebro in the Copa del Rey, only 1-0. Um, they snatched a draw against Sevilla at the weekend, but um, their yeah, their recent form has not been great. They did get three wins on the bounce, um, two of their league wins coming uh, in mid-November uh, against Catafe and Rio Vallecano. But this is the thing, they're only really beating teams comfortably um, worse than them in terms of you know quality in the squad. So against tough teams this season, they've not done particularly well. They've got a draw against Barcelona at home, um, which is their best result of the season. Um, but yeah, they're not really firing on all cylinders, hence why they're in the bottom half, you know, they're below the likes of Abar and, um, you know, Valladolid, teams like that. So yeah, it's not going too well for them. And you say the, the manager Marcelino is a relatively big name and, and there were a lot of headlines about how well he was doing at the back end of last season with Valencia and kind of a, a club that's that was stagnating but who are the, the, the in a in a, what seems to be a struggling Valencia sides who are the players that could cause United some kind of trouble well in front of goal Santi Mina as I said has been um, very efficient since he's come back from injury he's got four goals um, 182 minutes of goal I guess that's one every two games um, but it really depends on who they play up front because they've got Santi Mina Batshuayi Gamero and Rodrigo Moreno, who's um, got one goal and two assists this season. But Rodrigo has been playing a lot more of a supporting role, almost like a number ten. He he's the, one of the two strikers who drops in and and links up play. Um, and you know he's been getting into the Spain squad, so he's playing well, but not scoring. Of course, there is uh, Gonzalo Guedes, who um, signed permanently from PSG in the summer after spending last season on loan at Valencia. Um, He's very dangerous on the left wing. Um, he caused United a few problems at Old Trafford, but 
never seemed to make the right decision when it finally came to to playing that killer pass or taking a shot on. Um, so Delot or Valencia or whoever plays it right back for United might have quite a handful from from Guedes. Um, of course, Parejo, uh, the central midfielder, he's uh, one of my favourite Valencia players. He's just so complete, a great passer, um, can dribble with the ball as well. Him and Pendogbia have created quite a formidable partnership. So Matic and whoever Mourinho decides to field next to him um, will have quite a battle in the middle. And Valencia have very, I mean, they cannot qualify from the group stage. Juventus and United are already definitely going through and there's only the small matter of, well, it's not a small matter, but it seems very unlikely that United will be able to top the group because Juventus play young boys and should deal with them very easily. But nothing riding on this game for Valencia. They they cannot go through. Obviously, finishing third means they go into the Europa League. Because of their recent league struggles, do you think they will still put out a full-strength team against United? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it, it might not be full-strength. We might see players like Coquelin um, playing midfield and maybe Piccini will come back in at right-back um, where Daniel Vass has been playing, the Danish central midfielder who they signed from Celta Vigo. He, they've sort of had to find a place for him in the team. So having lost Montoya, they've put him at right back. So we might see a little bit of rotation. I think maybe Gamero might start. Cherishev might get a game, but it will still be relatively strong. I don't think going into the Europa League will be necessarily a good thing for Valencia. Um, there'll be better teams in the competition, you know, the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal. And um, given their league form, the last thing they need is to play a load of Thursday games in Eastern Europe. So um, it's not looking too good for Valencia I mean maybe uh, I mean young boys can't catch them can they so no. Valencia yeah they're destined for the Europa League so it that will cause Marcelino a headache they might have to spend some money in January um, but yeah as you said United could still feasibly I mean not feasibly technically they can still top <laughs> the group but I, I can't see it happening really yeah and prediction for, for the game uh, I'll, I'll go score draw maybe 1-1 one, one, I think um, Santi Mina and uh, matter with the goals nice matter back at his old stomping ground yeah. and actually just a final word mm. on uh, Andreas Pereira who was at Valencia on loan last season and, and did well and kind of impressed some people had a few kind of dodgy periods where his form wasn't so good but generally came out of that having impressed quite a lot of people did well in pre-season for United and yet uh, there's, a, there's a surprise that he may play against Valencia given how little he's played all season do you think Obviously, you can watch United from afar as well. What do you think of Pereira's situation at United, having had a decent time at Valencia? It's a strange one, isn't it? Because um, he started the first game of the season for United, didn't he, against Leicester, playing in um, like a deep-line playmaker role and then sort of hasn't been mm. seen a lot since. Um, but it's it's a strange one because at Valencia, he was normally playing on the right of a midfield four. It was sort of like a very Simeone-esque uh, compact four-four-two that Martino plays. So he wouldn't be playing the same role at United, but he definitely showed that he can play, you know, for a good team at a high level and an impress. You know, technically he's very gifted. So, I mean, there are, you know, a multitude of problems at United this season. Mourinho's made some very strange decisions with team selection, but um, I would like to see him get more game time and really kick on because he showed last season that other Mestaya that, you know, he's got talent. Brilliant. Thank you very much for talking to us, Ruben. And uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Cheers. Uh, at Ruben Tinder, that's R-E-U-B-E-N. And uh, follow Football Joe to see all of my great content. <laughs> <laughs> of course, always recommended. Now, Ruben Pinder has predicted a, 
a 1-1 draw for United Valencia away at the Mestalla. Uh, a Valencia side in, as Ruben explained, uh, terrible form. Well, not terrible form, but they are having a, a woeful season. I think they sit 15th in La Liga, three wins all season in the league, um, only managed a 1-0 win against, a, I think, a Segunda division side uh, in the Copa del Rey recently. Um, Jack, it's, it's, it's very much a, a nothing game because we need young boys to, to beat Juventus in what is not feasible as as, as Ruben said, uh, United on 10 points, Juventus on 12, Valencia on 5, so United and Juventus qualified. And it pretty much means nothing. We need to win if we are to top the group, but Juventus aren't going to lose to young boys. So pretty much a nothing game. Valencia will finish third, whatever happens. So a nothing game for them as well. I can't quite see the most exciting game at the Mestalla, Jack. No, neither can I. Um, both teams with not a huge amount riding on it. It seems like the group is pretty much set at this point. So, I mean, the, the one thing you do hope is that at least both teams get up for it. The Mestalla can be a great place to play um, if if it was sort of a more meaningful game. Well, you can do a prediction in a second, but what, what do we need to see to be satisfied by the game? Because, yes, a win, but as in we could get like a boring 1-0 win, and I think people... I mean, I think I'd, I, I want to see some things from, from the weekend be carried on. You know, we looked like we we were much more structured in the way that we went, went went forward against Fulham. Whether that was just because Fulham were so bad defensively that there was so much space open to us, but you know, just little things like that corner routine that led to Lukaku's goal, things like that are just much much more positive signs for us that we are actually working on some stuff in training. We are a little bit more cohesive going forward. We do have a bit more of a structure, and I think that that is what I want. I want to just see that kind of continued to to move forward so that we can then take it into the Liverpool game. Yeah, and we spoke about Popper about 10 minutes ago and he's set to start along, possibly alongside Andreas Pereira. A good performance from both of them would be brilliant, particularly Popper because he's more important to the side, but also Andreas Pereira because he's been pretty unfairly treated. Um, yeah, he was very unlucky to, to be kind of sidelined as much as he has yeah, since he's, the start he's of the season when he wasn't that bad. He's been kind of cast away after a good pre-season and then yeah. played the first game in the season and for some reason was dropped into well, it was the after abyss. the Brighton game wasn't it when uh, I think that was I think that was when he got dropped anyway after the Brighton game when yeah. really nothing in that game was particularly his fault <laughs> and he definitely should have been given another chance since then yeah classic Marino to be honest anyway prediction for the game um nil nil okay you've gone nil nil <laughs> Ruben's gone one one uh I'll go I, I'm gonna side with one of you. I think he's a draw, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Ruben and say one-one score draw. Um, now we we asked you for a couple. You don't of think questions. I'm an, enough of an expert on Valencia, no? <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite. I don't think either of us are, but we are an expert on Mourinho ball draws in Europe with United. So um, <laughs> anyway, we we got sent a couple of questions this week. One from uh, at Fallin Laughing, who said six of Saturday's starting eleven have contracts that expire in 2019. So the end of the season while some are dead weight that should have been gone long ago others are far more important Martial, Pereira, Mata, De Gea etc do we have a looming squad crisis is this Jose's way of cleaning the house um, there are there's a lot of deadwood at United and these are not the players who are it and I think the problem is at United that uh, the board and the people in charge of transfers I've, I've read this from Andy Mitten a few times and, and a few other journalists the board are concerned about losing players for free and don't see it as a viable option. And so they trigger these one-year contract extensions in pretty much everyone's contract, whether they deserve it or not, in the hope that they will get a transfer fee, them, a transfer fee for them. Now, you're not going to get a transfer fee for Ashley Young. 
or Antonio Valencia. The fee you're going to get for Phil Jones, if anything, because I can't see who would who would see him as a a good option for them because yeah. mid-table sides will probably think they can't afford him, so won't even bother looking at him. And the top clubs obviously don't want Phil Jones because. Well, and you'd, you'd say no one would be desperate enough for him that they wouldn't just wait to see if he made it to to be a free agent when they could get him for free. Yeah, so I think the problem is we're we're triggering these extensions or giving new contracts to these players that we want to sell when we should just... I mean, I don't want to sound like David Moyes and say we aspire to be like Manchester City, but we, <laughs> we should just let them go like City did with players like, like Zabaleta and a few others. Just Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I think it's... It's not a looming squad crisis. It could be that the mood at United about three weeks ago, if you'd asked this question then, very possibly you could see it as a looming squad crisis because if Mourinho stays and certain reports are correct that players like De Gea, Martial and Pogba don't want to stay if Mourinho stays, then yes, very possibly there could be a squad crisis. Yeah, I I think there's a... a pretty big possibility, in in my honest opinion, that there could be a, a squad crisis coming at the end of the season because... Why would players like Pogba, De Gea, Martial want to stay at United if they can't get some sort of guarantee that either the manager's going to go or the manager's philosophy or you know ideas are going to change a little bit? You look at the likes, especially of people like De Gea and Pogba, people at the top of the game in their respective positions and their their primes are effectively being wasted to to some degree at United. And I don't blame them for potentially wanting, wanting out. I mean... In terms of the contract situation specifically, it just goes to show yet again how poorly United has run in in so many ways. And the fact that we've let six six of the star eleven at the weekend, I think we have over ten over ten players, I think, on um contracts expire at the end of the season, is just yet again a lack of forward thinking on the part of the club. It's just kind of lurching from one year to another with no no foresight about what they want to do. Because realistically by now you should have already known who out of these players who have a year left on their contract are players that you want to keep long term you should have already sewn up their contracts and you should already know yeah. the players that you aren't going to extend and and we shouldn't really be be even questioning who whether they're going to get a contract extension or not um yeah it hardly gives it hardly provides me with confidence that the Mourinho long-term project at united has a plan yeah. because if if we don't even know which of our own players are going to stay and we we don't know who we're going to sign. Then we pretty much don't know who our team's yeah. going to be next year or who our well, manager. And the other the other be. problem with the contract situation as well is that so many of these sort of older players who've been around at United for a long time have seen the precedent that we set with Fellaini last year. The fact that we let him kind of just string the club along, effectively waiting for an offer, and then they gave him an ex- a massive massive offer to stay means that a lot of these players are going to do the same instead of being willing to accept the fact that they they might not get re-signed and try and find the club elsewhere. And that's when you say, goodbye, Phil Jones. Goodbye, Antonio Valencia. <laughs> Thank you very much for your seven years of I'll bring up that quote when, when we're in, uh, we're in eight, let the end of August next year and uh, Phil Jones and Valencia are still starting in our back four on double the wages they're earning now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we got one other question from Ike, I think is how it's pronounced, possibly Ike, uh, who said, what if what's happening at Manchester United is all a social experiment? If so, what is the name of the social experiment and what is the study about? Now, <laughs> I wanted to say this question because I don't want to leave any questions kind of unsaid. I, ha- I have no idea how to answer this. If it is all a social experiment, I would be very surprised. 
but kind of playing along with this dystopian ideal. Um, if it's a social, I mean, what is this social experiment at United a study about? I don't quite know how a, how a set of arrogant, I think forced arrogant because we support United fans respond to uh, derision and failure. I don't know. I have no idea. Or how, or what happens when um, a set of fans who see themselves as loyal and whatever respond to failure on the pitch I don't know it's an interesting question that's kind of should be answered by a psychologist or someone who studied philosophy rather than us two to be honest I'm actually gonna I'm gonna steal one of your own titles Harry from our from a podcast a couple of weeks ago just call it the mediocrity project (laughs) (laughs) because that's pretty much pretty much what it is um if it was going to be some kind of social experiment I guess yeah if you look at it from the perspective of uh of the fans' reactions, it would probably be like a test of loyalty or um, a test of dedication, maybe to uh, to to a football club or an institution, even when it's not if it, not performing if, how you expect. If it is a social experiment, then I would like to pin the bastard who is doing this experiment to us up against the wall and see him off. Um, <laughs> Because if if we're being put through this for the in the name of a social experiment by aliens, then I'll be very angry with the the people responsible. But on that, in fact, maybe maybe the the social experiment is actually how angry it takes a person to become before they throw a crate of water bottles on them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a real. So maybe the maybe the, the reason why we we beat Fulham so convincingly is because the social experiment has ended now. Yeah, they've already found the answer studying Jose Mourinho you could do that for for centuries anyway (laughs) on this weird note to end the Manchester United really podcast that is all we have time for on this episode thank you as always for listening wherever you are if you've enjoyed this on the the tram the tube the plane the train or in the car your kitchen or wherever please leave us a review on iTunes it helps other people to find the podcast which is always a good thing for us or just share the podcast on Twitter that's helpful as well Talking off Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at, at HarryRobinson64. For more from Jack throughout the week, his Twitter is at... At UTDTate, T-A-I-T. And the podcast itself is at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Cheers for listening. We'll be back soon to preview the Liverpool game after the midweek Valencia Champions League game. Until then, have a great week. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.